Welcome to a Sunday evening worship here at Broadway Baptist Church. I'm so glad you and your family are able to gather around and worship and come into God's house. We're in the sanctuary here, and we come here every Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. We are preaching through the gospel or the acts of the apostles. What this is, this is the story we're seeing from the beginning of Jesus being ascended into heaven all the way to how Christianity in one book of the Bible goes from a little group to being a global movement of God. So I want you to go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, we're going to be reading all 27 of the verses here. So it's a lot of scripture, but I want you to follow along. So I'll give you a moment real quick to be able to go ahead and grab your Bible while you're pulling out your Bible there, maybe your iPad or your iPhone. I do want to let you know how much I appreciate your giving to Broadway Baptist Church because you give. We're able to certainly have these broadcasts and be able to communicate the gospel right here in Lexington and beyond. Just want to remind you also of an event coming up this coming Wednesday. Normally on Wednesday, we go through the Gospel of Mark. But this Wednesday, we're having a very special night of prayer. It's going to be at 7 p.m. right here in the sanctuary. It's this coming Wednesday, July 15th. So I hope you're able to come. Think about all the things we need to be praying for. God has asked his church to rise up and become prayer warriors. We need to be praying for a vaccine for COVID. We need to be praying for revival for our nation, for God to heal our country and to unify the folks here. We need to be praying for churches to come alive and become Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. One of the problems we have is churches maybe have gotten on board on the social gospel and uh, other ministries. But the most important thing, remember with the uh, disciples, remember those first deacons? They were appointed to the church as deacons because the apostles and the disciples did not want to give up from devoting themselves to preaching God's word and to prayer. So they allowed uh, the deacons to step up and be servants while they were allowed to, uh, allowed to give themselves to the primary focus of seeing people saved. And that's important for us. You need to be praying for folks to be saved. You want these broadcasts in our church services to, to see lives change. We might not have the public altar call that we used to have, but you can still make a decision. In fact, if you do make a decision, and we'll close this service here with an opportunity for you to get saved, I want to hear from you. Let me know if you've received Jesus. Open up your Bibles, Acts chapter 24, verse 1. God's Word says, we're going to read this in three different sections. Five days later, Ananias, the high priest, came down with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. These men presented their case against Paul to the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus began to accuse him and said, We enjoy great peace because of you, and reforms are taking place for the benefit of this nation because of your foresight. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere, most excellent Felix, with utmost gratitude. But so that I will not burden you any further, I request that you would be kind enough to give us a brief, brief hearing. For we have found this man to be a plague, an agitator among all the Jews, 
throughout the Roman world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to desecrate the temple. And so we apprehended him by examining him yourself. You will be able to discern the truth about these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews also joined in the attack, alleging that these things were true. Now I want to explain what's going on right here. Give you some background information. You just jumped in reading these scriptures and think, what is going on with Paul? Who is Tertullus and who is Ananias? Background information in this passage. Paul has been arrested. He is in Roman custody. He's in a Roman city along the coast called Caesarea. And what's happened here is the Jews are accusing him. What are they accusing him? His charges are that he's an agitator. He's desecrating the temple. What that means is he's causing problems. Paul knows the Bible. Paul is bold in his faith. What's occurring is the Jews have come all the way from Jerusalem up to Caesarea, and they brought they hired them an attorney called Tertullus, and he's bringing these charges, saying the guy's an agitator, he's desecrating the temple, he's uh, going around. Uh, what what other word did they use here? Uh, they they accused him of being a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene Nazarenes, the Nazarenes. What that it means there is people of Nazareth. They looked down upon. They looked at Jesus, saying Jesus is this of, of Nazareth. And now we've got this little group following this man from Nazareth. You know, remember Nazareth? Nazareth, in John one forty six, Nathaniel spoke up and asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was just kind of mocked. This little small town, Jesus Christ came from, and we're going to mock the people who are there. And I think the powerful passage for us is we're reminded that God, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through, He raises folks up, even from Nazareth, even from Lexington, even from Louisville. He'll raise them up, and He can save them and certainly use them. And that's what we're seeing here. What else is going on here? It says here, um, there's this man named Ananias. He's the high priest. He's the one who wants to get rid of Paul. The mission in their mind is to, to get rid of this guy. Look at that. So, we're answering the question here. The Jews are bringing these charges. And we need to know, are they true? The question for us. This lawyer has presented the, question, the case in front of the governor. The, the, the Roman governor of this region is called Felix. He's over this whole Palestinian region. He's based there in Caesarea, a Roman city. And they're trying to answer the question. Okay, Felix is hearing the charges against Paul. The reason why they're giving Paul a fair trial is because, remember... Paul is a Roman citizen. So they have to try the man. They just can't uh, mob rule in this case. So now Paul is going to defend himself. 
And it's interesting what he does. He's going to lay out his case. And his case is found, how he defends himself, in the next few verses. And we're going to look at that, and then we'll, after that, we're going to stop, and we're going to really examine what he, what he calls the way. So go ahead and look back in your Bible. Acts chapter 24, verse 10. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, Because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I'm glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. So Paul, what he's doing is he's answering the question. He was accused of being an a, uh, agitator or a, a ringleader. And he's saying, guys, I was only there for 12 days. I wasn't even there that long. And you can go and ask other folks. I went there. No one on court. I was never arrested. I never was charged. No one ever charged and got on to me for uh, creating a disturbance among the crowd. So here I am in Caesarea now. You're accusing me of this. But nowhere in other history have I been accused of this. So keep going here in your Bible. Look at what verse 13 says. Neither can they prove the charges they are making against me. But I admit this to you. Look at what he says. This is the boldness of Paul. I worship the God of my ancestors according, look at this, to the way which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. All right, we're going to stop right there and we're going to look at what is the way. Chris, do you mind throwing that up on the board here? Let's take a look at the way. The way in the book of Acts. Paul said he followed something called the way. Are you a member of the way, church? When someone asks you what faith you're a part of, do you say the way? Well, in the book of Acts, we only find about the way in the book of Acts. I think about a church I used to be a part of in Georgia. We had a Sunday school class. We started a brand new Sunday school class. And the teachers were really just Bible scholars. And you know what they named the class? The name of the class was called The Way because it comes out of the book of Acts. So let's see here. There's three different sections that The Way is actually used. So in many ways, that's what we are. We are followers of The Way. First time The Way is ever used is with Paul. Paul, if we, he, we're introduced to him in the Bible, as someone who is going around murdering and wanting to kill Christians. But what had to happen is he wanted to travel up to Damascus. To go north up to Damascus. And he was going to search and to find believers who were following what they called the way. Because at this point, the word Christian wasn't even, uh, it wasn't a word. It wasn't how someone identified. The way were people who believed that Jesus was the only way to heaven. And if you think about that. You know, in John 14, 6, I think we have it up here on the board. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So when we get the phrase, the way, why are they called that? They're called that because of what Jesus says. Jesus described himself in John 14, 6, says, I am the way. If someone wants to get to heaven, if someone wants to go to, to God, the, this is it. It starts with the way. So naturally, taking that verse, John 14, 6, what were the first Christians called? They were followers of the way. So let's get back to our, our, the way in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts 9-2 up there. If you go, uh, Chris, if you put that up there, look at this. Paul, he's getting permission to go to Damascus. He's going north. So he had to go to the Sanhedrin. He had to go to the Jewish ruling leaders. He's going north to get this. And the purpose is to kill and arrest and basically scare all these followers of folks who were following the way. That is the first time in Scripture we see that. So in many ways, we as believers in the year 2020, we are just, we are just followers and descendants coming from a lineage of people who were just, who's always followed the way. All right, that's the first use right there. That's where Paul's introduced. Every single one of these, we see Paul involved. The second one is here in Ephesus. Remember Paul? He started that church in Ephesus. Paul went and planted that church. He even found a young man named Timothy, who he discipled and, and really mentored and made uh, that, that young man the church. He spent a lot of time in Ephesus. That was one of his uh, favorite areas he served in. And he was in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. There in Ephesus, the, what happened is the people started slandering and rioting over the way. Have you ever turned on your TV and seen a riot? Had, could you believe of protesters showing up at your church? Could you imagine having to hire police and security guards for church? Paul, 2,000 years ago, we, we might think rioting and looting and uh, protesting is new. 2,000 years ago, Paul, he was in Ephesus. He had started a church and the people were getting saved and they were no longer worshiping the idols there. And all of a sudden, remember Ephesus, they worshiped this, this idol called Artemis. She was this god of, of everything. And then the people, the silversmith, who would make these idols, he was losing business, so he stirred up the authorities against Paul. And it says a riot broke out. I want you all to know, there might be a day right here in our city, in our country, because we as believers believe in this book we believe in the authority of God's word. We believe in the power of God's word. And it is the only way to heaven that there could be riots, protest, and disturbances, looting, vandalism over our belief in the word of God. And I think what we have, we have to respond to that is... No matter how bad things get. No matter what type of opposition we receive. 
for, uh, for holding to God's word, are we going to basically hold the line? And holding the line means, I believe, you believe, this is the only way to heaven. How, why do I believe that? Because Jesus told us that in John 14, 6. And the first Christians, the followers there in the book of Acts, what did they believe? They believed in the way. That was their name. And no matter what government tells us, no matter what type of media the news is telling us, this is where we find truth. This is where we find hope. I'll tell you, I'm glad I'm a part of a Bible-believing church. I believe the doctrines, the principles, the teachings that, fo that folks like you and me receive and our families receive in churches like Broadway, it gives us an anchor. It gives us a hope that our world desperately needs today. There is so much uncertainty. There is so much division out there. Folks are looking for an anchor. And here, as a Baptist Bible-believing preacher, I'm proclaiming this is the way. This is our only hope. So what happens here? Back in Acts chapter 19, they're, they're slandering. They're riding over this issue and the followers of the way. So the first time it's introduced, Paul's going to kill people who are part of the way. Second time we see the way, a riot breaks out because they follow the way. So it's 100% uh, change. Now, Paul, we get to number three here, Acts tw chapter 24. Paul is locked up. By this point, Christianity's grown. Paul's an old man. We're at the end of the book of Acts. He's in Caesarea under Roman authority. He's already been on his three missionary journeys. He's locked up. And they're accusing him of being an agitator. And he's saying, I'm not an agitator. All I have been doing, I'm not agitating anyone. I am explaining the way. And he does this, uses that phrase two times, the way, in Acts chapter 24. I think the important part for us, Paul at one point was going to kill people who followed the way. Ten chapters later, Paul's in Ephesus and a riot is breaking out because he believes in the way. Six, five chapters later, Paul's now in Caesarea and under Roman authorities. He's been imprisoned and he's giving a defense that he's only explaining the way. We see how the way has that phrase, the belief in Jesus, the gospel, has radically changed this man's life. Look at this. The way moves from searching for followers. So this is what happens in Damascus. He's searching for followers. Now to defending the movement. All of a sudden, he's defending it in Ephesus. And then it goes all the way to bringing clarity to what it means. Search, defend, clarity. 
He's making it clear. And that's what he does by explaining it. And we see how the gospel, how God radically changes a man. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those words changed Paul's life. Are you part of the way? Do you identify with Jesus as the only way, the only hope, our only message we have? That is what we as believers hold to. Okay, keep going here in your Bibles. We're back in Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24, verse 15. It says, Paul says, I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection. So Paul realizes he's talking to Pharisees who do believe in a resurrection. He is acknowledging common ground, both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple, without a crowd and without any uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges, if they have anything against me. Or let these men state, let these men here state what wrongdoing, what, what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Other than this one statement, I shouted out while standing among them, Today I am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Do you know what Paul just said? Paul says, here I am on trial. I've been in the temple. I've been teaching. All of this has been public. There's no secrets. Why don't we drag out the people who have heard me teach, who have heard me explain the scriptures? Why don't we invite them to come and listen and give me and, and present their cases against me. You, you've got an attorney who doesn't even know who I am, Tertullian, to make this case against me. Why don't we get eyewitnesses? So Paul's very wise when he says this because this man here, Tertullian, the lawyer you've got, he doesn't even know who I am. What Paul's doing is Paul's basically discrediting the person who's bringing charges. So these folks haven't heard me. You've got people bringing charges that have no, no interest whatsoever. And I think what's powerful about this in Paul's defense, he's trying to show that this new movement, the way, the Christianity, that he believes in the resurrection, he believes Jesus is alive, and he believes in the promises of the Old Testament. He's saying, all this is, is this new movement, of Christianity, of the way, is actually just rooted in the old promises of the Old Testament that all of you here, Jews, believe. I believe what you believe, but I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and He has fulfilled that. Christianity is a sect that came out of Judaism. That's what, that's what we see here. Paul is saying there's no law-breaking, there's no riots, but you know what? Jesus is alive. That's his message. That's what he's trying to communicate to folks. He's trying to say 
that there is no disturbance, there's no problem going on, there's no destroying the, uh, upsetting the temple. I am just, just like you, but I believe that Jesus has fulfilled the very scriptures that you and I both love. Keep going here in your Bible. Acts chapter 24, verse 22. You know, always, um, when you don't know what to do, sometimes the best thing to do, like in Felix's case, this governor we're going to see here, is to do nothing. That way you can't really make a bad decision because you're not even making a decision. Look what Felix does here, the governor. So Paul made his case, and here's what happens. Since Felix was well informed about the way, he had joined the hearing, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. He ordered that the centurion keep Paul under guard. Though he could have some freedom, and he should not prevent any of his friends from meeting his needs. Now, don't you know, this is probably when Luke, who wrote this, and uh, the Acts of the Apostles actually came and visited with Paul. So Paul was there basically imprisonment, in Roman imprisonment, but his friends were able to come. He was kind of like under house arrest. He was locked up, but he had some freedom. He wasn't in total confinement. So he was able to sit around and talk about the Lord, talk about God, talk about religious things. That's what they would view him as. Just They, they viewed this guy as a passionate, religious, zealous person that's who Paul was he really wasn't an agitator he was just really devout in his religious life that's kind of what they viewed him he says yeah the guy's not really a lawbreaker he hasn't done anything wrong he's just passionate about what he believes but his friends are able to come and see him verse 24 several days later when Felix came with his wife Drusilla who was Jewish he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, Leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. So what happened is Paul started talking about sin, started talking about the importance of repentance and turning to the Lord. Remember, Felix's wife was Jewish, so obviously he was probably somewhat familiar with Christianity, with who Jesus was, because Jews knew who Jesus was. There was a gr giant group of believers called the Way who came out of their, of their beliefs. So basically, he says, you know, I'm done hearing all this about how I need to turn from my sin and turn to the Lord. Why don't you just go back to your cell? Verse 26. At the same time, he, meaning Felix, was also hoping that Paul would offer him some money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. You know, always the real truth comes out. Felix just won't wait for a bribe. He wanted Paul to pay him some money. So why? So that he could, um, you know, let him go. A bribe always helps you get out of jail back in Bible times. And certainly, you know, Paul is a Roman citizen. Felix had the authority to free a Roman citizen. So all he needed was a nice little offer. And look, but look what it says in verse 27 here. After two years had passed, Pontius Festus succeeded Felix. So a new governor came. Two 
years this man sat in jail. And because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. Basically, he didn't want to execute him because he was a Roman citizen. But he did want to remain in favor with the Jews. So what do you do? You just leave him in jail. Leave him in prison. And that's what occurred here. His wife was Jewish. He went in favor with Jews. So, and he never received any financial offer. So he allowed Paul to stay. So Paul is staying and continuing there in jail. You know, what do we learn from Paul before Felix? You know, there's several things here. Here's what we learn. That we must keep directing people to Jesus. I have it up here on the board. We, one of the things what happens is, Paul's on trial. Obviously, if we were in court, we would be nervous. You'd be somewhat worried. But you know, Paul had, at this point, he had lived his whole life. Paul said, you know, for me, to live is for Christ and to die is gain. To be away from the body is to be present with the Lord. You know, this past week at our church, we had two funerals. Those two believers who were part of Broadway Baptist Church, they stepped out of this earth, out of their earthly fallen bodies, and they stepped into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what happens is every opportunity, we point people to Jesus. How do we do that? We direct people to Jesus. We do it calmly. We aren't, we aren't agitators. You will never argue someone into faith in Christ. And you want to always explain the scriptures. And that's what, why you need to study the book of Acts. That's why you need to participate in Bible study. It's important for you to come and learn and be explained the, the scriptures. That's what I do as a preacher. I'm explaining God's word to you. Not only do we do it calmly, we also do it courageously. We have to be bold. You never not want to back down. And how we do that, we are very courageous in our belief. We're courageous in a way that Paul is very confident before Felix. He goes on to say, he says, Felix, if you don't believe me, ask the people who heard me teach. They heard me every day there in the temple. I wasn't even there 12, I was there 12 days. How could I start a riot and gain that type of support? Folks didn't even know who I was. And I think what we see is we need men and women of courage today. God wants to raise up people like you who are courageous people who's willing to stay. I am going to stand. I am going to hold fast to this book. I believe it. And even, even people oppose me. I don't back down. Are you a courageous believer? Do you fight for God's word? Do you fight for biblical principles? When you're at work, do you just go along with other people in school? Just dr drift, drift along to get along. The problem with that is there's a lot of folks who are going to be drifting into hell. But those who followed the way, who believe in Jesus, who've repented of their sins, 
who've trusted Jesus as their Savior, they're the ones that have eternal life. He is it. Jesus Christ, this evening, is calling and inviting you into a relationship with His Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no woman, comes to the Father except through me. Do you want to receive Jesus? Are you ready to ask Jesus into your heart? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. You close your eyes. And here's your opportunity to pray and receive our Lord. You pray along with me. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Forgive me my sins. Set my feet anew. Restore my soul. Wash me clean. Lord, I pray from this day on, I live for you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. To you look up. If you prayed and received Jesus tonight, I want to hear from you. Send me a message. Shoot, shoot me an email. Let me know how God is working in your life. Thank you for supporting our church. Thank you for participating in Sunday night church. This is internet church. We're not meeting in person, but we're meeting over the internet. We do meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in person right now during this COVID season. I also want to remind you, this coming Wednesday, there's a... We haven't had Wednesday night church since March. But this coming Wednesday, we're having a prayer service. It's called Urgent Night of Prayer. I want to invite you and your family. You show up with your mask on. I only have one up here. Wear your mask. We're going to have a prayer service. You just show up, and we're going to cry out and call out to the Lord right here in the sanctuary. If you don't quite feel comfortable getting out, social distancing, no touching. The microphone will have up there. You just walk up to it if you feel led to pray. You don't even have to touch the microphone. You go up to the microphone and pray. You ask God, ask the Lord to do a great work in your life, to heal our nation, to bring revival. Pray for politics. Pray for the division. Pray for God to restore families. Pray for the upcoming school year. There's so many needs. Pray for families and jobs. I'm inviting you to a prayer service this coming Wednesday. 7 o'clock. Note that time. 7 p.m. God bless you. I hope to see you Wednesday night at 7.